You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. All right, everyone, welcome to season two of the Guide Post. Tony over here, and I have one, two special guests. Um, We recently did a show uh, on Waypoint TV, Guiding Flow TV. Uh, And it it was kind of about the connectivity of the guiding communities and the fishermen up and down the coast. And we wanted to kind of enhance that. Uh, that show and and get everyone on the podcast and talk about it. So we're gonna have everyone introduce themselves. We got Captain Benny Blanco, Captain Brandon Sear. Uh, how is everyone doing today? Doing good. Thank you for having us, Tony. I appreciate it. I, I guess I'll start. Out, I'm Benny, and I'm, I'm a fishing guide in the Everglades uh, in South Florida. Uh, I also host uh, Guiding Flow TV. And uh, Guiding Flow, the premise behind the TV show is to highlight, you know, water and fisheries issues all around the state of Florida. Um, and uh, and that's that's predominantly what I do. I do that 300 plus days a year, whether I'm guiding or I'm doing something for the show. And it seems like I never, literally never stop. And um, But I'm happy to be here. Now, Brandon, how'd you get connected with this Molly crew? So, uh, I've been a fishing guide down in, uh, the Keys most of my life. And, uh, uh, that led into meeting the boys at Costa. And I also met Benny and did a show with him a few years back. Uh, I got to show him around my neck of the woods down here in Key West. Cause, uh, although, you know, there's only a, about 85 miles that separates my fishery from Benny's, uh, it feels like a world away from each other. And, uh, both of them are very unique. We're fishing the same fish in a migration. So we have a lot more in common, even though, you know, we don't see each other on a normal daily basis. So, uh, he had this really cool idea along with, uh, Joe at Costa to swing me up and, uh, us try to figure out where our tarpon went after they leave here. So here's, here's the million dollar question, you know, for people who haven't seen the episode, uh, we got, we got Benny and Brandon to come up and fish with Joe in Baston Habba, uh, and watch, watch our beloved striped bass eat some menhaden and take some flies. I got to know what y'all thought of that, you know, cause you're two, you're two tarpon guides, you're, you're pushing flat boats around, you know, it's a totally different fishery. And the next thing you know, you're sitting there and, you know, the, the, the epicenter of the, the striped bass world, completely different fishery, completely different experience. Like what, what did y'all think of that? It was awesome, man. I mean, I'm sure Brandon will say the same thing. You know, what we do is so supremely technical that it can, it can wear on you. And, you know, we did this show at the end of a season. So we were over tarpon at that point. You know, when you get to the end of a tarpon season, you don't want to see a tarpon, honestly. You want to do anything else and striper fishing couldn't be more opposite from tarpon fishing and it was it was pretty awesome you know it was very cool to be doing it in the back in people's backyards with these big rocks and this beautiful blue water and like these big bait balls and and the striper are super aggressive it was just it was awesome it was a lot of fun oh uh, they're not they're not smart 
right? I mean, let's be, you know, you every once in a while, you'll see one like refuse a fly or something like that. Or maybe, maybe one will kind of get under your skin. They're terrible at hitting top water. I mean, that'll, that'll drive you, that'll drive you insane watching your fly like cartwheel out of the water. And you wonder how they even eat because they just cut, they just keep missing it. And you're like, my God, and rather than like hunting that single fish, that's going to eat in the school, you have like this school of ravenous fish that are in a feeding frenzy. And it's kind of, it takes, it's kind of a little crazy, right? When you see it, was that the first time that you'd seen anything like that with stripers? Not for me. I think it was Brandon's first time. What'd you think of that, man? It's a little wild, right? It was a super, super wild. And, you know, uh, one of my favorite things about the entire experience was the scenery, a big uh, scenery guy. And uh, I've grown up on a two by four mile island my entire life. And, you know, I'm used to seeing some of the most pristine water that you know the United States has to offer. And when we go up there, we're one spot, we were literally smack in the middle of Boston Harbor, you know, behind our background, some of the tallest buildings I've ever seen in my life. Dirty, dirty water, you know, that to me looked like nothing could ever possibly live in. And boats are just running over these schools of pogies constantly, you know, and the striper didn't care at all. They're coming up back behind the boat. And to me, that was just so cool that, you know, in the middle of all this chaos, these fish were still just doing their thing. And, uh, but then there was also the opposite side of it. We were over at like the bluffs and, you know, you're on the side of these, you know, like the Benny was saying about the houses and these cliffs, it was just absolutely gorgeous, clear water. Um, it was just a really cool fishery and just everywhere I kept going around, I just kept thinking about the history of that area. And, uh, it was just really cool to be a part of that. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, striped bass are crazy fish. They're they're just such opportunists and they're kind of jack of all trades. And, you know, I think um I think when you look at, you know, a lot of the fish that y'all pursue, like a you know, a permit or a or a bonefish or a tarp, and um, you know, we can literally find striped bass anywhere. You know, you can you can find them like like Joe had them. They could be I was fishing in uh, I was fishing in Long Island a couple of years ago before COVID, and we were actually pitching the fly. We were on a boat and pitching the fly up on land on the beach, and then slow stripping it when the wave would curl and it would pull the fly back out in the wash, and you'd see a striper come into the wash and eat it. We fish in the marsh here, um, like sod banks, you know, with with rosio cane, um, everywhere you know, frag, whatever you want to call it. And we could catch a speckled trout on one cast or a red drum and then run into a school of stripers, catch flounder, you know, whatever. It's, it's a wild fish. And, uh, and I'm really happy that, that y'all got to experience it. It's what we love. Um, not to, not that a tarpon or a bonefish or permit is bad, but you know, I really, I really think the interesting thing the conversation started months ago with Joe and Benny <laughs> is you know menhaden pogey bunker you know whatever you want to call them uh are so important to to stripe bass and and i had an opportunity to really get to know aaron adams at btt uh and and find out from him how how critical tarpon uh menhaden are to tarpon so could could y'all you know because i think most of our listeners are probably centered in the northeast and the mid-atlantic and they might not understand the connection um you know, it's Absolutely. real simple for simple for us. One adult menhaden equals about a thousand bay anchovies for nutrition. And a striper needs to be about, you know, 28, 30 inches 
to be able to take down a a a, a, a full adult bunker. Um, even the juvenile stripers, though the peanuts, the, the little three four inch bunkers, really important to them too. Um, and and then you know talk to Aaron, find out how critical they are to tarp and and Benny and Benny and Brandon. You know what? How much? How pivotal are Menhaden to your tarpon season? You know, how pivotal are they to the to the tarpon's life cycle? So that's the that's the big picture bombshell, honestly. Um, and that's why I wanted to do the show. You know, I wanted to do, sh- do a show with you guys in, in general because I love, I'm a fan of what you're doing. Um, I love to see communities that are engaged and educating themselves and fighting and standing up. I, that's, that's why I did the show was to, to do that down here. And, uh, and while we gain this momentum in that realm, while we have people interested in fighting for water and saving their wild places, we have their interests and their voices and their passion to speak up for those things. Critical path issues like the threat of losing Menhaden are real. And we have to bring those stories to light. Um, Tarpon in their life cycle, absolutely rely on bunker Menhaden to make it to the next Tarpon season. And if they don't get those type of nutrients, when they, when they travel North in the summertime, they will not successfully reproduce when they come back south. And um, over a couple of years of that, it means that we have no baby tarpon. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the big fish. There's no doubt. But if we don't have little fish ready to replace the big fish, then we're on a, we're on a spiral, spiraling in a direction that no one wants, no one wants us to go. Um, and, you know, very fortunately, we have scientists like Aaron Adams who are willing to go down that rabbit hole to, to really study what the, the effects are, the cause and effects are, and then to warn us that this is what's happening so that we can use our engaged communities to speak up. And so I saw this as an opportunity, Tony. I, know I spoke with you for five minutes and I was already in love with you um, because, you know, you're like me. You, you just won't take no for an answer. And, you know, if we can educate, we know if we can educate the people who care for these species, for these places on big issues like this, and we can connect the communities that are engaged already, then we can make a serious impact in places like DC or in our state capitals where, where decisions for legislature legislation are happening. Uh, you know, I think, um, I, I think Menhaden presents such an interesting issue for management because a, a lot of their migrational routes, their life cycle, everything, you know, something like, uh, something like a river herring, you know, a river herring will go, it's anadromous. It'll, it'll go up the, up the rivers, you know, through the Chesapeake Bay, up the rivers into the Creek spawn in six inches of water. Juveniles stay here for a little while, head out into the ocean and they head out into the ocean, the open ocean. Um, whereas, you know, something like a Menhaden or a Hickory Shad is really coastal. And I think one of the bigger problems that we have is because it's a it's a coastal fish it becomes a state fish you know that the federal waters start at three miles so when you're really looking for something like consistent management up and down the coast to manage the the stock you know as a coastal stock as a whole you really kind of fall short uh on on menhaden and we have to worry what florida does and you have to worry about what virginia is doing 
you know, I don't, I don't know if the listeners know this. It's, it's common knowledge. I'm, I'm not a, I've never burned a spot in my life. Um, Aaron will tell you the research is coming out on it, but there's, there's a ton of tarpon in Virginia, coastal Virginia. And, and Aaron, Aaron believed years ago that they were following that Menhaden migration, you know, up, up the coast. Uh, and, and we could, you know, and on a good summer, you could go to the coastal bays in Southern Virginia and find, you know, you, you could see a hundred tarpon in a day. And these, they're not, they're not the small versions, you know, they're, they're all over 70, 80 pounds. Um, and, and I guess one of the big problems that we have is that that area is also worked really hard by omega protein, which is the reduction fishery, um, industrial persane fishery. And, you know, they, they work, they work that Cape Charles area really hard. And, and you kind of wonder if they're leaving enough, leaving enough of that Menhaden aggregation at the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay, um, for those tarpon to fatten up for their migration and have a lot of babies when they come home. Have, have y'all, have y'all gotten any science on the success of the tarpon spawns lately? Or, or is that something that you're worried about? Or is it still kind of, is, is it still kind of new stuff? I mean, I think that, uh, uh, I mean, Benny might correct me here, but, uh, there's really not a whole lot known about, uh, the tarpon spawning, uh, as far as I know, I mean, I've seen the big, you know, the giant schools coming in from offshore, you know, in May and June, you know, coming in at Mach 5, but, um, I don't really know much. I don't think anybody really knows a whole lot about their spawning and where they're doing it at. But, um, you know, I think one thing that's amazing what you guys are doing about the, uh, trying to have the Menhaden boats and stuff is, you know, another fishery I've heard that has the same issue is uh, Louisiana, you know, their Omega stuff. So I think it's awesome that you guys are kind of being a leader and pushing for what you are and that hopefully that'll help other fisheries and having the same problem follow suit. You know, Menhaden are are badass, Benny. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you, but they're badass little creatures. And, um, you know, they really truly are the foundation of, you know, the food chain. Uh, if you think about it from a, from a kind of idealistic perspective, that they, they actually have the ability to turn the sun's energy into protein. Not many things can do that. I mean, it's a filter feeder. If you've ever seen massive schools feeding like all at once, they almost fly like geese. You know, they, they're in formation and they, they line up one after another with their mouths open and these schools could be two three acres and they swim like in a vortex so if the if the guy to the left of you misses a piece of food the guy to the right of you gets it and so on down the line there it's it's almost like they you know they like it's like they're one uh biological organism the school and um everything relies on it i mean just just absolutely everything uh, and I can tell you all, you know, a little bit about the management changes up here. But, you know, I think the big picture is, and here's the problem, you know, you have the aquaculture industry. Um, there was an executive order with the, the previous administration to ramp up our seafood production. And you have these aquaculture leases that are popping up. You got one in the Gulf Coast that's popping up for Almaco Jack that Aaron's spitting mad over because it's in a tarpon migration. We have a, a steelhead farm that they're looking at off Shinnecock, Long Island, a Pacific steelhead, because that's always a good idea to, you know, just grow invasive non-native species in a net right off right off a, a shoreline. 
so they got to feed them something. And, and generally speaking, it's those pellets that they make from Menhaden. Um, and you know, uh, it's, it's challenging, man, because everyone wants them. They, they use them for the omega-3 pills. Um, they, they use them for everything. I mean, from makeup to dog food to aquaculture food to chicken feed, they're incredibly high in protein. And, uh, and it, it, there comes a point in time when you have to ask what the resource needs, you know? And Benny, would I can see you over there. I know you want to add something to that, so I'll shut up because y'all are the guests. No, I mean, uh, I mean, I'm I'm here to be educated as well. But I can tell you that down here, there's zero knowledge of what Menhaden means to any of our sport fish, and so we have to start at a very low curriculum level, where you guys are already understand that. You know, you guys have seen bunker your entire lives. You rely on the bunker every year down here. There's very little talk about Bunker in Menhaden. And so um, that's why we want to do the show. And, and now that I've spent time with Aaron and um, and understood how important Menhaden is to tarpon, to cobia, to redfish, the more of those individual communities that we get, we educate and get in, engaged in this fight, the more real a possibility it is for us to shut down things like you just mentioned. And, um, you know, that... That's been that's why those things exist now. It's because there's never been a voice of opposition. No one's ever stood up. And so um, now that we know, now that I know how important it is to tarpon or redfish or cobia, I mean, at every opportunity, I'm going to speak up. And I think um, I think that's what I would want anybody who listens to this to take away that no one is going to change this unless we do. It's very much like our water issues down here, very much like our, our wild places protection issues down here. If we don't speak up for it, if we don't fight for it, it will go away and it will, it'll change drastically and it will be so fast. And um, we have an opportunity now to continue to educate our, the people around us to to push them to, to speak up and to and to educate those around them. And that's the only way we're going to see any change here. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful, Tony, that, I've met you and you've been able to connect the dots. You're like the only person in the world that's ever said that. So, well, I mean, <laughs> I, we're, we're still in the honeymoon phase. So, um, but, but, um, but I needed those dots to be connected because I, you know, when Aaron told me that I was like, cool, we need to fight for it in Florida, but I, I didn't connect the dots for anything further North. And we're, we're and you, go, you go North and you have people that are already engaged and educated. So like, this is a huge win. If we can get everybody together, that's, that's how I look at this. Uh, Brandon, just, I don't, I'm not, I'm not super familiar with your fishery down in, down in Key West and Benny on one of the last podcasts really gave us a great insight into, you know, what he's fat fighting for with captains and why he did the TV show and the, and the problems that are plaguing him there. But just being 85 miles South, I'm sure you have some of the same, but a few different problems like what, you know, cause you're, you're a young, you're, you're a young captain. You know, um, I, I know how well respected you are. Uh, I know how many fish you catch. Um, you know, I think we're, I think we've been, you know, friends on social media for a while and I'm, I'm looking at all the stuff that you're doing and I'm like, wow, you know, it's a fishy dude. Um, but I, I know you've probably even in your career have seen some changes. So like, what's, what's going on down in the keys that our listeners should, should know about, like, what are the challenges and the, and the changes that you're seeing in the resource? 
you know, uh, we have, well, I'm born and raised down here and, you know, very fortunate to have uh, grown up with a father as a fishing guide. And uh, I've seen huge, significant change, good and bad in some situations. Um, you know, we're blessed down here that we don't have the issues, you know, that uh, like we have great water quality because we have, you know, the Gulf and the Atlantic. We're kind of out, jut out in the middle of it with the clean water going back and forth. But we're all tied into the Everglades, you know, because like a lot of our fish like tarpon winter in the Everglades and stuff like that. And so as our fish are migrating through, a lot of it relies on the same fish that are coming past us every tarpon season. The same fish that I'm, you know, fishing in April is the same fish that Benny might have been fit that he, they're going to keep going up the coast throughout the summer. Um, but, uh, you know, I've seen our, our bonefish population. We've been fortunate enough to see that explode. When I was a kid, you know, we never saw bonefish. Brandon, I, 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 I know that Brandon, I would, I, I just want you to know, I respect you enough to where I wasn't going to say anything because a, a couple of people, a couple of people have told me that they're like, dude, man, you got to get that. Like the bone fishing is just incredible for like fish under five pounds, you know, six pounds is it's, it's come back. Nobody understands it. Get down there. And I'm like, I'm not saying a word, man, unless he, unless he brings it up, I'm not going to blow it. No, I mean, it's, it's becoming pretty well known. I mean, it's, and it's just getting better and better. And, uh, you know, I'm not 100% sure, but I know like one of the things I stopped doing was, uh, the BTT has been a huge part of, and then when I, just for me connecting the dots personally. So, uh, I think it was, could be eight to 10 years ago, uh, BT, the BTT helped, you know, talk through Cuba and they stopped gill netting. And so I believe that all the larva kind of gets, washed over to us from there and so that's where it's kind of allowed our bonefish to start which is a domino effect because our bonefish should go and spawn here and i've found several spawning aggregations here you know before they go to go out and what happens is once they spawn offshore here our gulf stream is then carrying up that larva into the upper keys isla Morada, uh biscayne bay and over into the bahamas so one little spot like, you know, I mean, Cuba's huge, but, you know, that's been absolutely fantastic. Like when I was growing up, if we went out on an eight hour trip and we saw five bonefish, that was a great day. And that's just seeing, them, you know, where now, you know, on an average day, we can have anywhere between 20 to 30 shots plus uh, on bonefish. And they're not all, uh, you know, small. We've had some really big ones. You know, we do get a few fish in the upper, you know, uh, nine to 10 pound range. Our average fish is typically about five to six. Um, you know, but lately in the last year to two years, I've been seeing giant schools of one pounders, which is fantastic. That means that the population is growing, you know, as Benny was saying with the, the bigger tarpon, it's, you want to have the small fish as well, because that means that they're going to be growing into bigger fish and spawning. And, you know, the cycle is just going to keep on going. Um, one thing that we've had a big problem with is permit. Our permit has significantly declined uh, since I was growing up, but we've been able to, through the help with BTT's research uh, and Lower Keys Guides Association, we were able to fight to help close off part of Western Dry Rocks, which is a crucial permit spawning site. And uh, we were able to put acoustic tags and permit and through the help of other resources, not just BTT, they were able to use 
uh, different locators. They basically were tracking these permit. They were going back and forth from the flats to the reef and were spawning in a specific location. And uh, what was happening is uh, the offshore fishermen were going and hitting the spawn. And in these tornadoes of permit are trying to spawn and there's just sharks everywhere. They would say like one out of 10, they would land. The other nine would get eaten by sharks. And, uh, but you know, it didn't matter. You know, they didn't see the long side of it. And, uh, fortunately, uh, with FWC, we were able to get that closed off. So hopefully that's going to really start to help repopulate our permit. I, I, I think one of the more encouraging things, um, that some of our better advocates see, and this is just feedback from, you know, mid Atlantic in the Northeast. Um, you know, we know that we know the fight isn't over. We know that there's a, there's a long way to go, but y'all have made such incredible strides as a community, the guides in Florida, um, you know, for, for Benny to give compliments for us on Menhaden, like we've lost, we've, we've lost as many as we've won, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of like this never ending, you know, war of attrition. Um, but to, to hear the, you know, to hear things are coming back and, and better than you remember as a kid, I, you know, I, I don't, I certainly don't want to, I, I watched the show. I love the smiles on y'all's faces and where Joe took you and, um, you know, the, the sharks and the, when y'all were tuna fishing and all that kind of stuff. But I was, you know, as a, as a policy person, as a fisheries policy person, I was watching y'all land the stripers and I was like, that's a 2015 year class. That's a 2011, you know, cause we can age them pretty good, you know, up until they're about like 36, 40 inches and their growth rates really slow down. But I mean, I can, I, I, you know, I, I hate to be like the old guy in the room. Um, you know, I see, you know, Cody's, Cody's on here, uh, helping us out and Joe's a lot younger than me. And, you know, I can tell you in the late nineties and the early two thousands, if y'all had been there, then every fish you would have caught would have been over 20 pounds. It would have, they would have been every, the small fish would have been 37, 38 inches. Uh, 36 incher was about 16 pounds back in the day um, when we had, you know, abundant forage for them. Uh, the average, the average weight on our fish has dropped considerably. Um, you know, average 36 inch fish, probably somewhere between like 12 and 14 pounds. Now you don't see the big fish. Um, you know, we only have like a 2003 year class cohort. That's, that's going to be those fish over 45 inches. You know, they should be around 40 pounds. Um, and, you know, I was watching y'all and seeing how much fun you had. And I was just like, man, you know, I wish, I wish I could hit the way back machine and take those boys to the flats where like we used to fish and just have them, have them have stripers just tow the boat around all day. Yeah, that's that shifting baseline issue. And, yeah. and we deal with that down here too, Tony. Uh, it's the same thing here. I mean, we have, I have young guides who, they pop up seemingly every single day, but um, you have young guys who come back to the dock and they're like, Benny, 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 I had a great day today. We caught five redfish and two snook. And, you know, I think I caught that when I was a kid off the bank, you know, like the, the, the fat, you know, the baseline has shifted so much. Um, and that shows a perfect example with the, your point was a perfect example. Um, which is why it's so important that guys like you and me and all of us have to speak up and, and about what we experience in our lifetimes so that we know what we have to shoot for. Because if we're just trying to protect what we have now, 
then that's pretty sad state of affairs. What we're trying to do is restore, restore it so that it can come back. So that mother nature has a chance to come back. I mean, there's a, there's a reality. You know, everybody knows that mother nature will heal herself if we can help her. hundred percent. And let it yeah, breathe and let it breathe a little bit. Well, you, you know, growing, yeah. growing up being, you know, I don't want you to said Benny, you know, being one of the younger guides down here that I know of, um, and my father being a guide, my grandfather was a commercial fisherman, so it was my great grandfather. Um, I've heard back in the day stories my entire life, and uh, to finally see, and you know, it's only gotten worse and worse and worse, and to finally see the work the BTT has done help turn that around. Um, it's insanely encouraging. You know, I'm hoping that the younger generation is really going to help put their voice out there and help stand up with you guys um, and realize that if you do something about it, you can turn a fishery around and things can change. Um, that's been one of the biggest lessons for me. Um, you know, and it's really, really cool that these things have a chance to bounce back if you give it to them. So well, here's the thing that, that gets me going um, just really quick, Tony, is that, you know, for let's say decades, fishermen have enjoyed the resource and, Spoken up a little here, smoke it up a little there, but the general status quo is, you know, somebody else is going to take care of it. And, you know, it's just getting worse. And there's been back in the day stories forever, just like Brandon said. I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm, I think everyone in this realm right now has to be done with that. The outdoor community has to be done with back in the day stories. We have to, we have to just say it's enough. And if we, do that collectively as an, as a community say that is enough. We're going to stand up for these places. We're going to stand up for these fisheries. We're going to stand up for the water so that we can tell back in the day stories so that the kids that, that are fishing them in the day, in that particular day can look back and say, look at how much better it is today. That is the reality of what we can do as a community. So well, that's what I want my people, all people around me, the people who watch the show, people who listen to this podcast to just say that's enough. No more of the status quo, what every freaking guide and fisherman has done for decades, and start speaking up for the damn water and fisheries that we love. I mean, how hard is it to speak up for the stuff that you love? It shouldn't be hard. So we're trying to we we're do, trying to gear people up, Benny, for the you know, we got a we got a big striped bass hearing coming up in two weeks. Uh-huh. And um and you know, I, I you think about it and uh everything that you're saying. And, you know, I, I guess all that, all that we do, these, the loudmouth advocates like me and you, is we just throw a match on the fire. But all the other fishermen have to fan the flame because you can't, yeah. do, it, you can't, you can't do it alone. And then, and then, you know, how do you get them to do that? And um, in the, the last podcast, I said, you know, if you pay attention to what's going on, we're distilling all the information, just captains, BTT, guides association, you know, we're, we're putting this stuff out there, just read it. And, the, and when there's a meeting and you have an opportunity to comment or participate, approach it the same way that you approach a fishing trip that you're excited about, you know, get pumped up. Like when you guys stepped on the plane, you know, Brandon to, to go on your first new England striper trip, I'm sure you were a little stoked. And if you're like, you know, you, you got to, I got a trip. I'm I'm taking my nephews in a couple of weeks. Uh, um, we're gonna float the White River for giant, 
you know, brown trout. And that's, that's a little bit different than what I do. You know, I'm a saltwater guy, but I'm totally stoked and I'm looking forward to it. Time flies and I'm, I'm, I'm changing all my leaders and my connections and everything. And if people just, people just took an hour, uh, once a quarter when, when these meetings come up and, and approached it the same way they approach a fishing trip that they were excited about. I don't think we'd be in this mess. And, and it's, I, I, love, I love your story, Brandon, that, you know, the, the bonefish came back because, you know, you, you made the connection. There's no gill netting, the larva, the larva are making it, you know, into the estuaries where they can grow up and be little bonefish. And, um, you know, it's that cycle. We're, we're in a terrible cycle with striped bass. We've had the, last three spawns have been the worst spawns since 1979 through 1981. And that was right before the moratorium started. So we're, we're kind of terrified, um, of, of the future of striped bass right now. Um, but let me tell you, I, I want to tell you guys like what we did with Menhaden and it hasn't made a huge difference yet, difference yet, but it's kind of like one of those long-term things, you know, nothing's a silver bullet. So, you know, we all know that the birds and the whales and, you know, we'll have humpback whales just gorging on Menhaden in 15 feet of water right off the coast. Um, you know, we have countless, countless hours of drone footage of this happening. You'll see, I mean, man, there were, there were four or 500 pound bluefin tuna right on the shore, just tearing through schools of Menhaden off Long Island this year. It's, it's wild sharks, everything. So we were able to pull a whole bunch of communities together, like everything from whale watching boats to bird people, any, anyone who cared about Menhaden. Um, and it took, God, I mean, I think it took 10 years, but we got Menhaden managed for the ecosystem, not as a single fish to be harvested. So it was called ERPs, ecological reference points. And right now there's just, four predatory species, uh, striped bass, bluefish, weakfish, dogfish, um, that are taken into account when they're managing menhaden. They, they didn't include the birds. They didn't include the whales, but you got to start somewhere. So hence to forth menhaden, um, at the Atlanta States Marine Fisheries Commission are going to be managed under ERPs. And they're going to look at the stock status of the other fish. And then they're going to figure out what the tack, you know, the total allowable catch for menhaden is going to be. Um, that's a good thing because the herring population has collapsed. Other, other forage species are not doing well. And between me and you, you know, lobster guys, crab guys, they need their bait and, you know, aquaculture needs their fish food and all this kind of stuff. And that's why we were kind of working under the gun with the clock ticking. Uh, to get these ERPs passed because we knew there was going to be no no slow in demand for Menhaden. So while it's not a huge change right now and you're not going to be able to walk across Menhaden, Florida yet, um, I think long term, they're also not going to swoop in and double the quota overnight, you know, behind closed doors. So, you know, we got a we got an insurance policy, we got a layer of protection. And I would say it's a long, hard slog. The Gulf Menhaden issue is a little bit different, um, you know, because there there's just no management. Um, but that's the direction that you go. You know, that's because it's going to be proven on the Atlantic coast, and that's really easy to slide it in on the Gulf. I know they were trying to get buffer zones and things like that, but until you manage it, until you manage it for its significance 
to the resource first before it can be extracted, you're just always going to be on the tilt to whirl, man. It's it's never going to stop. You you gotta you gotta kind of plant the flag in the sand. So that's what that's what we do. The people that are listening to this, like, because obviously, you know, we're talking about, you know, standing up and making your voice be heard. Um, for the average people that are listening to this who want to, you know, take a stand and help you guys out, because uh, one thing we've learned down here through the different uh, battles we've been in, if somebody wants to join your fight, what's the best way for them to be able to help out? Oh, you know, Brandon, it's the same thing, same thing for you guys, you know, beef up your knowledge on the website, understand the issue, and then, and then start being part of the process. You know, for you guys, I guess it was FWC, getting involved, um, going to the meetings, being heard for, for Benny and captains for clean water. You know, it was, it was going right to the governor's office explaining how the important those tourism dollars are and 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 offering solutions not just complaining and and the only way you can offer solutions is if you understand the issue so i guess what i'm saying is it's not easy it's a commitment it's not it's not just like sign sign this petition online you know lower keys guides association mm-hmm. basically down here that everybody kind of joins in and that's when you know we kind of send out the newsletters on what meetings to go to and everything like that and what who to send emails to um so i'm assuming up there would be the saltwater guides association would be the the best way for people to log on oh yeah salt saltwaterguidesassociation.org and just type whatever species you want to learn about into the search bar and everything you ever wanted to know will come up in chronological order um it's a yeah, only a couple of years of existence. It's quite the body of work. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a war of attrition, man. You know, it's, it's no, there's no, there's no spike in the football in the end zone. There's no glory moment. The time never ticks off the clock and you look up at the scoreboard and you won. There's none of that. It's just, it's just kind of like put your big boy pants on and there's something else the next day, you know? Um, I look at Benny all the time and I, I think about that, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, younger than Benny and, uh, you know, I, we both guide about the same amount of days and I am just deadbeat exhausted at the end of every day. Like, I mean, I got two young kids, but how Benny can do what he does. And then he's here standing up and going to Tallahassee and doing all these different events, constantly battling for clean water and, you know, all the issues we have here in Florida. And then, I mean, and beyond it's, uh, truly incredible. And, you know, hats off to you, Benny. You're uh, definitely a staple of what we should all be doing for sure. I appreciate that. B. I just, I, you know, for me, it's, I just reached that tipping point, you know, I watched it my whole life. I guided a little bit longer than you. So I've got a couple more years of it beating me down. And, uh, and then when I lost the grass in 15, it was as it, I, I, uh, I couldn't allow someone else to take on the fight that meant that much to me. And when I went to those meetings and realized that literally no one was doing anything, um, you know, the people who were speaking up were, there was no sense of urgency. There was no, data behind it it was just you know please help me fix my water no sustenance and um 
you know, now because we have connected the science community with the fishing community and we have these engaged organizations like Saltwater Guys Association and Cavendish Clean Water and BTT, we have the ability to go make pos- make change. Like five years ago, six years ago, it was like, if you want to make change, you, you were like David and Goliath literally. And now it's David and Goliath, but we got like shotguns and, you know, we have like serious ammunition. Um, and that's, that's why I speak up all the time because I, I know we're so close to making serious change. If we could just get everybody to pitch in a little bit here, a little bit there to speak up here, to speak up there, to hit that tipping point where they just don't want to take this crap anymore. They don't want to lose any more grass. They don't want to lose any more fish. They don't lose any more Menhaden. They want to catch bigger bass in, in Boston Harbor. When, when they've reached that tipping point, then we can, we can, we can move the needle. We are moving the needle in a lot of places already. So um, for me, it, I, you know, I reached that tipping point and I've seen taste a little bit of success here and there. So like, I, I know that if I, we just keep pushing, we're like right there. So for me, it's not about being tired or having time. It's like, I, I just feel like that finish line is right there. When you know when that finish line is right there, I mean, you just, you can't stop. So um, that's why I appreciate, you know, Tony's passion uh, so much because I, I don't have to go to Tony and say, Hey, Tony, I need you to stand up. He's, he's yelling the same you know, language. So, um, and that's why when you, you said earlier this year that you want to get more involved, I was like, yeah, come on, B let's do it. Let's, this is, this is, you know, this is how we make change. Penny, you know, you know why that happened, right? I'll tell you, What's you know, has the same reason why it happened to me and probably the same reason why it happened to you. I think Brandon just had a kid. I think he just had his oh, first kid. Very true. And all, all of mm-hmm. a sudden you hold, you hold that kid and you look at their eye and you look at their eyes and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you said your great grandfather, your grandfather, commercial fisherman, your father's a guide, uh, you, your brother's a guide, right? Okay. So, and then you're holding, you're holding that little baby in your hands and you kind of start asking the question, am, am, is, does it end with me? Or is, is this little this little guy gonna have the same opportunities and the same life that was afforded to me? Because like I'm just gonna take a guess, Brandon, and I'm gonna say you're probably not really built to be in an office. I'm just I'm just pulling that I'm pulling that one out of the sky, bud. You know, I'm just guessing. No, I, I had I, I turned down a a full ride summon scholarship to be a guide right out of high school. <laughs> I mean, who wants I can't be in an office. They would I I would be <laughs> I would be arrested within 24 hours if I had to work in an office yeah. like in DC or something. For sure. You can work at McDonald's. They're paying better now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but Tony, those are, that's a, a tremendous point. There's, I have, you know, I speak a lot. Um, I go around and speak a lot and two super impactful perspective points to make. One is Brandon, when you look at your son, really think about what's going to be left for him when he wants to fish and at the current rate, the current pattern at which things are going. And if you start thinking about what's really going to be left for your kids, my grandkids one day, I get angry. And that's, that's when I hit that tipping point quick, you know, you know, and then the other very impactful point is, um, I had, you know, I, I speak with these the elders in our, our community all the time because I'm trying so hard to, to create a scenario where I can 
tell people about the give the, the, the historic perspective. What Mesquite Lagoon was like at 25, 30 years ago, what Flamingo was like, what Key West was like 30 years ago. Right. And I went this one day, I went to Flip's house and, and for like hours, he's just blabbering about all these ridiculous stories that I couldn't comprehend because I never saw it. You know, redfish doing silly things and, and being able to walk on top of tarpon and all this, all this stuff. And, and then I asked him, I stopped him for a second. And that was 30 years ago. And I asked him, Flip, if you had, 30 years ago could go back knowing what you know today, how loud would you scream and how often would you scream? And for the first time in hours, he stopped talking. And all he did was cry because if he could go back, he said he would have never stopped yelling and never stopped screaming and not stop knocking on doors. And that's how we have to treat it today. If we want to make change, if we want our grandkids to have something in the future, we have to look at what's happened over the last 30 years and completely expect that to happen in the next 30 if we don't make change today. And so if you need perspective on where we stand in history right now, or what point in history we stand right now, we are at that precipice of either having change for good or losing it forever. And so my that's why I, I go back to that tipping point comment. I, I'm beyond that. I, I know that we have to speak up and do something now. And so... Um, Tony, if you need my voice for those striper meetings, I, I will be there. That's how we have to look at this. Yeah. And, yeah, and the same vice versa. That's, like that's the coolest thing though, Benny. Like we're trying, um, you know, our our board member Paul Dixon uh spends a good part of his time in the winter uh down chasing tarpon uh in Florida and and he's friendly with some folks at the lower uh Lorkey's Guides Association. And, you know, we're trying to think about things that we can partner up with them. We've already got some things that, you know, we're, we're working on with BTT and Aaron, um, and, and, you know, would do anything to help captains any day of the week. And it's, I think it's really cool that these organizations, they're all relatively new. And it's a different voice, right? And they all try to, they all try to combine science into what they're doing and they're speaking for the resource and, and our asses are all on the line, right? It's not, it's not a game to us. Like it's, it's what we do. Um, you know, it's, it, 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 the personalities I think that we all have, it's, it's pretty, I don't understand how people are programmed. Like I think about, you know, um, I think about my family, my son, you know, my nephews, everything that's important to me. And I think about someone, you know, potentially hurting them or doing something. And man, I, I got to tell you, like, I'm a fight like the third monkey on the ramp to Noah's Ark, right? Like, <laughs> I'm gonna be the first monkey you ever said, you know, you ever seen like, what? oh, my God, like that, that monkey's crazy. You know, he just threw that other monkey off the ramp. And now he's got the spot. Like, there's no, like, don't you love it? And, and uh, every, every time I just harp on social media guys, because I see, I see these guys and they just, they want so much to be cool and they want to be accepted and they want to be the, the fishing pro on social media or whatever. And it's like, if you just did something that wasn't for yourself for once, 
if you just did something for the resource for good, people would probably respect you without you having to put 200 doctor pictures up a year uh, to be cool. And it's, it's, it blows my mind that people don't fight for what they love. Uh, that's not how I was brought up. Um, yeah. I, I think a big part of it, honestly, is just uh, ignorance and education. Um, one thing that stuck with me throughout my life, you know, when I was growing up and, uh, you know, my dad had all these giant photo albums and, and the photo albums were all these, you know, Marlin, you know, giant yellowfin tunas, sharks, permit, tarpon, bonefish, everything was hung up on, you know, these big posts with nails, you know, by the boats taken with pictures. And I always asked him like, dad, you know, how, how could you guys kill six tarpon in a day? Or how could you kill five? You got three marlin hanging up in a sailfish. Like, well, I thought those are protected species. Like, how, how could you guys do that? And he always just would tell me, he's like, man, he's like, back then we just, we didn't know. We thought it was an endless resource. He's like, you know, nobody thought that this was hurting anything. And, you know, he's like, if I could go back now, I would change it all. And so I think the work that you and Benny are doing is, it's huge. You know, Benny's, you know, you talk about the tipping point and like you guys are tipping it in the right direction just by what you're doing and to keep pushing hard, you know, you're taking the younger generation who's going to help you guys fight and carry on the legacy. Um, you know, like my dad didn't have that, you know, before him, it was all about killing the fish. If you didn't kill the fish that you caught that day, then you didn't get booked for charter. Nobody thought about the resource. So, you know, I really, truly do believe that you guys are leaders in a change for good, you know, and I think it's going to make a huge difference for my kids, you know, and I hope that I can do the same and I can help, you know, teach them in the conservation. And I mean, even from when I was a little, I mean, not even little, 10 years ago, people used to drag tarpon up by the gills onto the bow of boats. Now we don't take them out of the water ever. I can't tell you how many fish that I don't let people take fish pictures with because the water's too hot and I want to let the fish go. And, you know, six years ago, that would have never happened down here. So I, I do think that through the work that you guys are doing and other organizations, you guys are educating the masses, which is really, really helpful. And I think it's going to help bring our fisheries back to what they should be. But you're absolutely right. You got to stand up, fight and don't give up. Hey, Brandon, I got a question. I got a question for both of you characters. All right. You know, the magic of TV, we shoot some video, certainly not the extent that, that Benny does, but there's some funny stuff that happens and I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus. Right. So we, we did that movie Hardlined, um, like last year and the, the guys totally professional, the, the guys who are doing the fly fishing film tour movie. And I had had a, just one or two drinks at a Mexican restaurant the night before we had a gale warning. I did not think we were going out. I had to move my car. I had to move my truck in the parking lot because it was getting like salt spray on it a hundred yards from the beach because the waves were just, I mean, towering waves like beach erosion. I'm like, there's no way we're going out. So I had a couple of drinks and then they wake me up and they're like, we're going. And Pauls were going out with Dixon and Paul's like, yeah, it's only blowing 25. I'm like, Oh man, the camera guy looks at me. He's like, I get seasick. Is it going to be bad today? I was like, 
I was like, dude, you're not, you're not going to be happy. So they filmed me. I'm walking down the dock. I'm a little discombobulated. And, uh, the first, the first take I tripped on a, I tripped on a cleat and I almost went ass over tea kettle into, uh, into the Harbor at Montauk. And uh, I just kind of looked at him. I'm like, man, I, ho- I hope y'all got a delete button on that thing. Cause I don't, I don't want that to ever see the light of day. And let's, let's do that one again. So the magic, the magic of movie making, nobody ever knows that, uh, that I was a little hungover, tripped over, tripped over a cleat while I was looking at a 36 foot invincible in the Harbor and, and man, the water was just like right there. So is there any funny stuff from filming from you guys that we won't, we won't see, but a story you'd like to share? Yeah, I want to go ahead and start off. I think my first thing would be uh, our camera boat uh, putting all of their lunch. <laughs> when we were filming down in Biscayne Bay, putting all of their lunch. In- <laughs> we're getting a middle finger here. Uh, uh, our camera boat putting all of their gas station lunch into the live well, which then filled up with water halfway through the day and uh, some soggy sandwiches while we were all chowing down our food speaking of speaking of food speaking of food when we went up there uh, and i'm so grateful that joe gugino and costa you know sent us to boston i mean that i mean that was the trip of the year for me Uh, you know getting to go to boston just in general getting to see downtown boston getting to see the whales like that was that was lifetime memory for me right absolutely lifetime memory but we you know, Brandon and I have tr- fish, you know, we're got full-time guides and uh, you know, I have to, I have to work every day I possibly can in order to, you know, to make the show work for me. So I'm working and we, we book the latest flights we can and we fly into Boston. We get it. We get in at midnight. As, as I land, I get a text from Joe. Hey, uh, by the way, I'm going to pick you up at the swing by, pick you up at the hotel at one because we need to meet Faxon at the dock at two. And I mean, that was, that was, that was like nightmare, terrible news. And, um, we get there and Joe, and, and Joe texts, I, I got the food. Don't sweat it. I got everything. Don't sweat it. We show up at the dock and there's like <laughs> four bottles of water and like four boxes of RX bars. Like I, I felt like we were set up for failure from the beginning. <laughs> so Brandon's on like middle of the day, Brandon's on like RX bar number nine. And I, I, I stopped after two because I couldn't stomach one ever again. And uh, we're, I'm literally drinking water. That, I mean, that was, that's, that's a blooper. Like that's the blooper reel that I'll forever taste as I think about it. He hands me this, this bottle of water, this, this box water at the, at the dock. And like, we literally, I mean, I, I got, just like Benny said, we got off the boat. I got off my charter at four thirty. had to be at the airport by five. So like raced over, flew there, like hadn't eaten anything, get there and chug this bottle of water because I'm just so dehydrated. And like Joe hands us each like a bag of like for food and drinks. I like open up this bag and all that's in there is RX bars. And I was like, Joe, is there any extra water? You get another bottle of water here in the boat? And he's like, no, you, you got your water right there. I had already chugged it. And Benny was like three quarters of the way through his. We both look at each other. We're like, oh my God. We're like, is there a hose? Like, yeah. It was like 1.30 in the morning. I'm like, so how long are we going to be out? They're like, oh, we'll be back at like, you know, six tonight. Something like that. I felt like we were like, like on a, we were, we were rationing out ourselves on a forever trip. It was, it was brutal. 
So uh, we, we I, almost I, got. I have, I have not eaten RX bar since that day. I'll tell you what, we got to convince, we got to convince Joe to do another one of these things next year. You know, look at, look at y'all's schedule and get you up, um, you know, and, and just, just, just time everything right and crush it. Um, I would love to be able to time it around one of these, uh, you know, the meetings that you're talking about. You know, I think it would be really cool to be able to help you be able to come up there and help you guys voice. Yeah, that 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 big one where the rubber meets the road would be a, a probably a, a May deal or an October deal, would, which would both be pretty cool, um, pretty cool times to fish uh, before and after the meeting as well. Um, I think I think we got a lot of stuff ahead. Um, thanks to Costa and thanks to Joe. And, uh, I think there's going to be a crazy amount of opportunities. Um, and, and guys, we just got to start, we got to keep looking at what connects us. Right. Cause it's, it's more than Menhaden, right? It's a, the ocean is just like one living, breathing organism. You know, it's, it, it really is, uh, especially with your tarpon coming up here and out of Virginia. Um, it's pretty wild to think that those fish that Brandon is catching and then they move up to Benny and then there's some strange cohort that just decides to park in Virginia for a couple of months. Um, it's really kind of fascinating. And, and I think ultimately over the next couple of years, it's just going to bring our communities closer and closer together. And, you know, maybe it's a tarpon, maybe it's a menhaden, maybe it's something different, but we got to keep finding those things that connect us um, because we are one community, e even though there are different groups and, uh, and all that kind of stuff, we're all, we're all fighting for the same thing. So I think it's really cool that Benny is so <laughs> open with the topics on his show. And, and, um, and I think it's cool that he's pulling the younger generation in with you, Brandon. And um, there's something, there's something here, right? There's, there's, there's something here and, and I, I believe we can make a difference. So, um, I think you two guys are pretty awesome. I want to thank you so much for taking time late at night to, to entertain our audience and, uh, you're welcome on here anytime. And we're going to stay in touch. We're going to figure these things that connect us out and we're never going to give up. And I think that's the message. We're going to make a difference. <laughs>